We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's time for another podcast with hardly anything to talk about because, as it turns out, title-winning seasons are boring. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith, the Blockman on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, I mean that's the thing, right? Like these title-winning seasons where everything's just going great. Like I don't know, are they really as fun? They're very fun. Yes, yes, they're very fun. Um, so, all right, quick look ahead to what we want to get into today. We haven't done a main pod with you since the Liverpool United game, so we'll maybe talk a little bit about that. There's some transfer news around the league that's interesting, and we can take stock of what's happening in the league generally. There's some outgoings from Arsenal, potentially some ingoings to Arsenal, which is not a word, but you know what? I feel like it's working, so let's just stick with it. And, of course, there's Fulham at the weekend. Now, when I usually do these, here's what we're going to talk about today, things. The last, like, seven of the things I mentioned never get talked about because it takes us 42 minutes to get through the first one. So I'm using executive privilege here to not just give you $10,000 back, but also to uh, talk about Fulham first. Because I think it is fun to talk about the game that's coming up. I mean, after all, this is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Let's face it, it hasn't been that in ages. But that's what we uh, purport to be, the Airsats Arsenal Vision podcast post-match podcast. So we will talk Fulham. Tim, I'm going to start. Oh, well, first I'm going to introduce people like the professional I am. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Quick shout out to Scott and his family. Uh, their cat tragically and suddenly passed this week. Um, so a hard thing that he's going through and I hope he's doing okay. So love to you, Scott. Um, Tim, there's, there's, uh, you know, a, a lot of, change at the bottom of the Premier League every season. There's three new teams that come in and three new teams that go out. Um, and unfortunately, it's often the same ones. There's a lot of rotation. But I think Fulham is a team that, at least for me anyway, I don't know. I find that I enjoy having them in the Premier League. Um, Craven Cottage is kind of a fun place to go to from what I understand. Uh, obviously, that's not the that's not the case this week, right? We we play... The, actually, are we going to Craven Cottage? Is this the... This no, this no. This is the home game, right, right, right. So, but so I, I'm curious your feelings on Fulham being back, facing Fulham at the weekend, and and you know where they stand because they're actually off to 
a pretty good start in terms of how they looked. Yeah, they're unbeaten. And uh, <clears throat> I think one of the kind of most impressive things about that is in their first two games, um, they had nine. Uh, that I think they only had two new signings, uh, Andres Pereira, one of them. Uh, I can't remember the other one off the top of my head. but So they've, they've kind of had this good start largely with the team that they had last season. Um, and they've, they've brought some players in, uh, like Pereira, um, like Bern Leno, um, for example. Uh, who, Paulinho, Tim, Paulinho, that guy. Yeah, 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 that's, that's it. Design. That's the other one. And he's been yeah. a good addition. Because what Fulham have struggled with is basically, like every time they come up, they, they go one of two ways. They either try and stay with exactly the same team and it's not good enough or they make loads of new signings and it's too much and it looks to me at the moment like they've hit a kind of happy medium and look they've got loads of Premier League experience they they are like you know Fulham and Norwich um, just seem to swap places every year Um, but the other thing they couldn't do last time they were up under Scott Parker was they couldn't find a way to use Mitrovic because and, and I can understand why, because he, de- a bit like a guest when we had Giroud, he demands a certain style of football to be effective. And Scott Parker didn't really want to play that football. And so he, he is one of those players. You either, you either dance to his tune or you don't bother. Um, whereas this time it looks like they've decided, look, Mitrovic is a guy who can score goals in the Premier League. So let's let him score goals in the Premier League. Because the first time he came up with Fulham, he scored a hatful. He's, I think he scored 18, which for a relegated team is a lot. And so essentially what they've done, they scored 106 goals in the championship last year. So effectively, it looks like what they've done is just gone, OK, let's keep doing that. We won't score 106 goals in the Premier League, but we might score 55 um, and that probably keeps us up if we do that. So they're, they're, they're obviously they're a really dangerous opponent and we, we saw what they did to Liverpool. They were very, very in Liverpool's face. Um, you know, they were they're pressing them very, very high, really disrupted them. And of course, they've got that Mitrovic factor and, and that's something I'm sure certainly a lot of our supporters will be aware of. You do get this sometimes where you play a team from, you know, the bottom half of the table. And sometimes there's just that one player that really sticks out, you know, a bit like Andy Carroll or something. Every time we play Newcastle or West Ham, it's like, oh, fuck, it's Andy Carroll. And like, obviously Mitrovic has um, like a bit of an Andy Carroll kind of, I guess, style to him. Um, And obviously we're going to have to look out for that. Obviously we saw the way he bullied Trent Alexander-Arnold. Yep. Saw like the last minute winner he scored against Brentford last weekend. And actually he had a goal. I believe he had a goal disallowed for offside before that by, uh, you know, by another one of like Gabriel Jesus's pixelated sleeve (laughs) patterns or something. So we, we know he's incredibly dangerous and we know that they're playing to his strengths. But last weekend, we played a fairly similar team in Bournemouth who who were looking to have that kind of direct style and and look the way you beat those teams is by not letting them have the ball and and in fact Palace as well Palace direct in a different way in that they try and go to Saha uh, quite quickly front to backs uh, back to front rather so we have faced this um, kind of style before. Um, but yeah, what, one thing I am really glad about is I don't think they've signed Willian. Um, yeah, because I was, I saw that last week and I thought, oh my God, William, William's going to make his debut for Fulham at the Emirates. 
and we all know how that's going to go and Bern Leno's going to play in goal and have a blinder and all of the ghosts from the last couple of years are going <laughs> to come back and haunt us but it, at least one half of that looks like um, it's not in the offing tomorrow which I'm, I'm quite happy about. I, I have to be honest I, I do believe in jinxes a little bit and I would still be fine if William was playing for Fulham. Like I'm, I'm okay with it. I've seen him up close. I, I think we can handle it. Um, it's Clive, the Chelsea Bamiang one. That's the one we're we're that, absolutely yes. yeah yeah. That's the that's the one we could do without um, for a variety of reasons. But well, setting that aside, so a few things on Fulham. Firstly, obviously they got a result in their first match against Liverpool, which even setting aside how Liverpool looked against United is hugely impressive. They had the superior XG in two of their three games. They had, you know, a little over 40%, 44% possession um, in a couple of their games. So it's not like they're just giving the ball to the other team and playing long ball. Um, they they look like a decent team. Now they obviously face, I mean, you could argue their stiffest challenge of the season, depending on what you think of Liverpool. They come to Arsenal with the second best attack in the league on XG. Uh tied for the best attack on goals, and the meanest defense in the league on XG, uh, pretty substantially better than Manchester City, second in goals allowed against Brighton. Clive, however good Fulham have looked, it still strikes me as a game that's down to us playing our game because we are in such red-hot form and because the talent gap is still there. Um, I think Mitrovic is obviously the challenge, but let's set aside what we have to try to not let them do. Let's talk about what we need to do. And the first thing is, of course, whether we're just going to trot out the same side. I, I suspect we will go with the same 11. It would be weird to change anything now. If there was a change in the offing, the only one I could potentially see would be Tomiyasu coming in for Ben White. And I'm curious if you think that might happen or if you just assume he's going to stick with what he's been doing. No, I don't see that as my number one change. <laughs> I, but I'm a Ben White fan. Uh, oh, no, I, I didn't. Look, can, can I just make a point? That is not an anti-Ben White thing. It's a pro-Tamiyasu. <laughs> like, they're all good players. None, none of this yeah. is. Like, when when Pep used to swap out, you know, a, a, a Sterling for a Foden or whatever. Like, that's not saying Sterling was crap. But anyway, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. We and we got to get used to it. Um, but I do think yeah. it's working quite well. I do think... Um, with Mitrovic, where he likes to steal onto fullbacks on the back post, I think that'll be quite interesting to see what we do. So I'm happy. You know me, Elliot. I'm happy with three centre-backs in the back line as long as they can all play. So if I'm Mitrovic, I'm sticking myself on Zinchenko really quickly, see if I can steal onto him. So, yeah, I, I think it would be the same team. I, I do have an interest if he sticks himself on his Zinchenko, he's going to be standing in his own defensive third because that's where Zinchenko is going to be playing the game. So yeah. not going to help him a lot. Not going to help him, yeah, particularly in yeah. possession, obviously. But yeah, I am sort of um, looking at. I, I am interested to see Zinchenko play proper midfield. If you know what I mean, uh, I've yep. got. A, I'm looking. I'm looking for that day. You know, enough for the game. Shaka is playing brilliant, but I'm looking for that day, particularly if you're going to have a little bit more of the ball at home. It will be nice to see what that looks like. But it doesn't have to happen. We don't need to make it happen. And there is five subs, so we can wait for it to happen. But I would like to see Zinchenko have a bit more license in the in the forward third with Tierney in behind him and see if we can get a bit of power and a bit of punch in there. But 
hey, look, I'm really nitpicking here. I'm, I'm looking for problems. I do like a couple of their players. Um, I told you I like, title winning seasons are boring, Clive. There's nothing to argue about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I do. I do like a couple of players. I like Tom Kearney, actually. I, I know he's been a captain of theirs in the past. And the guy Robertson, I think is a US player, left back, uh, quite a bounding player, you know, quite a tall left back. I quite like him. And, and yeah, I, I just think it's, um, I think it's for us just to continue, really. And I'm, I do think as we go through this metamorphosis in our thinking about games we should win, and we're suddenly looking ahead in the fixture list, and we're saying, tick, done, tick, done, tick, done, tick, done. We're going to be undefeated by Christmas. You know? So um, that tells you that, that tells you where we are. But when you look at the bottom six in the Premier League, there's some big clubs down there. you know, And that tells you what's happening in the Premier League. You know, there are smart clubs prepared to play their game, not afraid to play you. Now, what Fulham did to uh, to Liverpool on the opening day, they weren't scared. What Newcastle did versus City, they weren't scared. The Brentford-Fulham game was end-to-end. What Leeds done against Chelsea, bang, they're going for it. There's energy, there's thought, there's pressing, there's patterns, there's proper scouting. I don't know about you, but it feels to me that the, the league's gone up a level. Um mm. And these teams are not messing about and they're not prepared to accept their position in the league. There's too much money at stake. Everyone can get analysts. Everyone can do their sports science. Everyone can get their clips on the opposition and really analyse And there's some very smart coaches. So I'm finding the league incredibly fresh, new almost. And we haven't got to end the transfer window yet when teams are going to really shuffle the pack a little bit. So, yeah, I'm really excited for this weekend. Yeah, I mean that that is the thing. Right now it feels like an eternity between games. When you're when you're winning like this, it feels like an eternity. Now it won't feel like an eternity for long because we have a Europa League draw tomorrow. By the way, we'll probably do over on Patreon some kind of reaction to that to just cover uh those teams and that's going to be a pod you don't want to miss because there's nothing more fun than hearing us pretend to know anything more than what we've read on Wikipedia and FB ref in the 30 seconds before we hit record. So you don't want to miss that level of expertise. I should mention, by the way, we did our first Academy pod with Kaya Kainak from uh, football.london. Um, we talked loan players. We talked Vieira and Marquinhos performances in the U23 games and a couple uh, more bits and pieces. So that's out there. We did scout Pedro Neto, and we will be talking about him momentarily. But before we finish with Fulham, Tim, I, I sort of gave you the unenviable task of bigging up Fulham and what their challenge was. So let's talk a little bit of Arsenal. I, I do think it'll be an unchanged side. Um, I, I think there'll be enough games coming up with the addition of these other um, competitions. Obviously, we have Brighton in the League Cup, which is a really difficult, tricky fixture. And my hope is that Mikel will be willing to still approach that like you should a League Cup with heavy rotation. But there's plenty of time for me to freak out about him not rotating when the time comes. Um I don't see this being a weekend for rotation. And candidly, whatever the challenge Fulham poses, I I look at the way we're playing right now, especially at home, and especially the the kind of atmosphere that we're generating at home. And I I think we might be hearing tequila a lot all day long. I think it could be a fun day. But do you have any specific insights on where he might try to change things or, or tactics that might be a little different than what we've seen? No, I... I'm with you. I, I think he'll keep the same team. Like you say, the, the only real one is potentially bringing Tommy Asu in, but I, yeah. I don't think he'll do that. I think um, the, the interesting thing, I guess, is this is the first time this season that we have a midweek game after this. So we have the three games in eight days thing. And obviously after this, that's 
that because like the Europa League, it starts earlier than ever this year. I think it's like September the eighth, the first mm. game in the Europa League. So, and, and we have we what trundle. Villa midweek next week. Is that right? Yeah, 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 exactly. So from this point on, it's three games it's a week hairy. right up yep. until uh, November when the World Cup starts. So. Um, more long term, there will be rotation. I'm sure, probably on Wednesday, there might be a change. Obviously, not wholesale, but a change or two in the lineup. Um, but really, I think what he'll do is it, he'll he'll very much be in a I'm picking this team until I can't. I guess um, kind of mode, and really, like I say, the Europa League's coming around a little, like a week or so earlier than it usually does. So some of those players who a maybe for fitness reasons need to start a game, but also I'm thinking of someone like Eddie, and I, I feel a bit for Eddie at the moment because he must be sitting on the bench going, "Christ, how do I how do I get in here mm. um, ahead of Gabriel Jesus?" Like I knew he was coming, and I knew that was the challenge, but. Maybe he's doing even better than I expected, and if the whole if he stays fit for the whole season, it goes like this: like, what's my role? Where do I fit in? And and I guess you know, you it's always difficult to strike that balance. You don't want players. I don't want to say checking out, you know, but you don't want players at the beginning going, "Oh my god, what kind of season's this going to be?" Obviously, once Europa League comes in, I, I think that that probably fades away anyway, and then some players get the chance to play themselves in. And the fact that the Europa League schedule is so compressed will help those players as well because the games are pretty much every week. Um, can, so it's not like, you- yeah. yeah, sure. Well, because I want to ask you a question. You, you led me into thinking about something that, that I'm, I'm sort of curious what your take on this is. Because so far, I think Mikel has not been super aggressive using his subs. I think he used them all, mm. actually, against Bournemouth. But it, it almost feels, and I want to be careful how I say this. This isn't a criticism. But it almost feels like he has waited to use his subs in these first three games until he was confident the game was in hand. Right against yeah. Palace, he basically didn't want to use him at all. Against Leicester, it was late. Against Bournemouth, you know, it was it was kind of right as we thought we were going to go four nil up. Right, we we're going to get some wholesale changes, and I think it's sort of about like trusting this is real. Right, if I'm Mikel Arteta, yeah, yeah. there's still that fear that the rug's going to be pulled out from you. This great football we're playing, this great run we're on, it's all going to fall to pieces. I'm going to right, especially given how last season kind of fell apart when we had been on a good run, and so I wonder if what what it's going to take to get through the the fixture congestion upcoming isn't so much rotation, but a willingness to say, on 50 minutes, I'm making two subs. On 70 yeah, yeah. minutes, I'm making two more subs, right? I'm going to I'm going to have more players that only play 55 or 60 or 65 minutes so that I can I can get out there and being willing to make those subs even when the game is still in the balance or not in a game state that is indicative that the points are in the bag, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I I think um I think there's been a little bit to that. I think it's po- probably also been a strength and conditioning thing because the thing we've got to remember about a lot of the guys who aren't playing who might uh, not expect to play but would usually play is that they that what the common thread is that they didn't have much of a pre-season. So yeah. what we're giving them is pre-season minutes basically. We're giving them yeah. minutes at the point uh, and that's the luxury that we've we've given ourselves in these first few well certainly the last two games is you give them the minutes when the game's dead so it is a bit like a pre-season friendly and you kind of m- maybe our eye is on that Europa League game and, and with those players it's like okay these are pre-season minutes we're giving you at the moment and then the Europa League's the beginning of your season but I have no doubt that if it's nil-nil or we're 1-0 down on 60 minutes on Saturday I'm sure you'll see that change. I'm sure you'll see earlier changes 
um, you know, more aggressive changes uh, coming in. So I, I think it's probably a little bit of a fitness thing, like you say, a little bit, but not just a fitness thing for the guys who are coming off the bench, but a fitness thing for the guys who are starting, who need to be able to play 90 minutes. Do you remember last season? I think it was a year ago today, actually, we no. played at West Brom. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> We played at West Brom in the League Cup and he rested no one. He played everyone. And don't get me wrong, I think that was a little bit in the context of us losing our first two games and he wanted you know, we won six nil and we wanted to get some confidence and some goals into the team. And obviously that worked brilliantly because we went and lost five nil to, to Man City. But I think there is something about early in the season, you want to keep your starters going for as long as possible for strength and conditioning reasons. So I think it, it's more in that realm. But like I say, if the game's tighter on Saturday, I think we'll see that change. Yeah, Clive, let's, let's finish up on subs because I think it is actually maybe the last remaining area of intrigue at Arsenal where we can freak out and be mad and get and have angst if there's anything that people seem to want to try to find issue with right now. It's he could use his subs more aggressively and like we're really, really picking nits at this point. But given that there are five subs and that was an initiative that the big clubs pushed hard to get, in lieu of pure rotation, which introduces more risk and change and and an impact to continuity, five subs does give you the ability to try to meet out minutes in a more judicious and uh, an effective way for the long term. And so do you think that's the next component that as this run feels a little more real, not that it isn't real, but you know, is is confirmed through more results. And as the games start to come, as they say, thick and fast, um that, that he will start to get a, a, a feel for the cadence of how to use these extra subs and keeping keeping people a little more fresh. And on the flip side, we think about it in terms of keeping people fresh, but also keeping the other players active and involved, right? Because that's that's an important part yeah. too. Yeah, if you're on the bench, you know, there's five subs. You're, you're, you're up for it all day. You're running around in front of the manager doing warm-ups, hoping to get on. The thing of difference between three and five subs, the main thing is most managers would use two subs and keep one behind just in case something happens. So now when you've got five, you can lose three or four quite easily. You don't have to use five all the time just because you've got five. But it means that, you know, potentially you have a couple of players are getting good minutes. So it makes sense. Or, you know what I'm going to say, it's all related to game state and stuff like that. At this moment in time, I don't really care what he's doing because we are like sitting there looking down on the rest of the football world and it's working hmm. exceptionally well. You have to look at this season into, into chunks, right? According to the calendar now, we're, our last game before the World Cup is November the 12th. And so we literally have a compressed season to November the 12th. Then we come back on Boxing Day. So look at that season in that block. We have a block now. We have a block post-international break. Well, I think we come back to Spurs on a Saturday morning. That international break is going to be really important. The last international break in April, I think it was. Life changed after that, didn't it? You know, that was a moment when everything changed. Tierney, party, the whole thing. Tiredness, Odegaard was tired for two or three games. Everything changed by this international break. And for me, that's when the season derailed. So this international break, everyone's thinking, oh, I also got a good little run before the international break. But after it, it starts to get tasty. And so for me, how we manage that as a club, it's difficult because the players disappear. What mindset we bring them back to. Then we have a Saturday morning game live on TV, Spurs at home with the world waiting for us to trip up. These type of little mentality roadblocks 
are the things that are in my mind really rather than where, how we use substitutes, etc. Because I'm less worried because I don't see academy kids in the dressing room as we did end of last season. And you all or nothing really showed us that, didn't it? You know, the Zach Swansons, the Hutchinson, the Salah Hadid, they're all, they're all in there, you know, and um, we haven't got that issue now, you know, so let's see how we go. Yeah, I just want to raise a point here too about the importance of keeping it going. We need to beat Fulham at home. We need to beat Villa in midweek at home. We need to go to United and beat United. Then we need to beat Everton at home. We need to beat all of these teams, obviously, every game, all 38, and win the league with 38 wins. But the reason I say this is, then we go Brentford away, Spurs, Liverpool, Leeds away, City, Southampton away, Forest, Chelsea away, Wolves away, and then the break. That that is a run that is going to change the way we feel about our season one way or the other. The Derby, Liverpool, City, Chelsea away, Wolves away is not an easy match. Brentford away is not an easy match. I mean, that that is a very, very difficult run right from, even if you want to throw out the Brentford game, from October 1st to November 12th, it's eight league games, of which I'd consider one, two, three, four, five of the eight are really, really difficult. And so, you know, that that run is going a long way to how we think about things. And it's really interesting because we could go into the World Cup break feeling like the trophy's in our hands if we if we have a good run there. Because the City game's at home, the Liverpool game's at home, the Derby is at home, right? The Chelsea game's away. But th- th- there's going to be an ebullient feeling or there's going to be a feeling of coming back down to earth. And so the thing you absolutely want to make sure you do is go get all your points during this run, max points versus Fulham, versus Villa, home to Everton, right? Those are three of our next four games. You get max points there. That's 18 points out of 18. You take the Man United game, even if that's a draw, it's 19 points out of 21. And that puts you in a position where that tough run doesn't have to be perfection, right? And and so I think we're building ourselves a little bit of a cushion in this period for what is going to be a hard landing back down to earth in October. Because even if we are the best team in the league, I mean, look at City, look at Liverpool last season. They took it right down to the final day with a lot of points. They struggled in some of those fixtures that I just told you about, you know? Um, and, and those fixtures are the kind where you can play well and still not get the result. So it's not me saying we're going to stop playing well. It's me saying this run is our chance to build up the points we need to make that really tricky run before the the World Cup break not feel like it has to be three points every single game. I mean, the the players should feel that way, but we as fans need to accept that. I mean, it probably isn't going to go that way all season long. So one of the ways you do that, obviously, is you win now. Another way you do that is you keep all your players invested because you're going to need them during that run. And another way you do that is strengthening. This is not an ad break transition, I assure you. It sounded like one I know. I was wondering. All you people were wondering, where's, where's that go? Where's he going? Are they doing a protein powder or something now? Where's he going? Um, Tim, we are linked. I think pretty reasonably with Pedro Neto, pretty realistically linked. Still with Tielemans. And maybe a little bit fatuously with Zaha. 
People have feelings on these transfers. Clive and I did a scouting video, and I have to admit the Pedro Neto one looks to me kind of like consistent with our build and our style of what we're trying to do with our project, but not a guy who's going to come in and go right into that first team. He is a guy who's going to come in, and if you have to use him, you feel real good about having to use him, but he's not going to supplant what we have. Obviously, a guy like Azaha is only coming to Arsenal to go start. I don't see how it makes any sense. I mean, Wilfred Zaha is a lovely player who at 29 Palace are not going to want to sell except for an exorbitant fee, and he's going to come to Arsenal to be a regular starter in the team, and I I don't know style-wise. He plays a lot of hero ball. I don't know that that's what we're about right now, so feels a weird one to me. The Tielemans one is one I thought we were going to do all summer. The way Shaq has played, I can understand if you're like, we don't need Tielemans, but like it is a squad game, and we don't have any really good midfield type players that I would want starting if we were missing any. We've got El Nenny, love the guy. You know, we've got Sambi, love his future. But I'd rather have Tielemans starting over either of them, I think. So in terms of those three rumors, do you want to play like love it, like it, dismiss it? <laughs> you know, do you have one that you love, one that you like, and one that you want to dismiss? <laughs> uh yeah, yeah, I do actually. So dismiss Zaha. Um yep, I, 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 I no not seen that as a, I've seen it as a discussion, like, because he's got one year left on his contract, but... Um, well, he loves Arsenal that we've been linked in the past, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't see that happening mm-hmm. um, for a lot of reasons. Um, I So, I the one I the one I love, the link I love is Neto. I think that's a really, really interesting because I've been thinking all summer, like, we're going to target another wide player. Who's it going to be? And is it going to be, you know, like, Hafinha would have been, like, I mean that's starter, right? Somehow, <laughs> but then there's the kind of oh, who, but who fits into the group? Like you don't want backup, you know. I, I guess in a really weird way, it's almost like a Willian replacement. Like the idea of of Willian, I guess. Um, no, not the player himself, but the position made some sense. And none of us thought it would go as badly as it did. What most of us had a problem was with was a three year contract rather than the player himself. Um, but that kind of alternative, because it's just clear that Pepe has never really been on the boat, as it were, with either Emery or Arteta. That's always looked. He's always looked to me like someone who's who's just been drifting away from the club since the moment he arrived. And so that there has been cause for like that other wide player, but you kind of want it to be someone who can fit into the group, maybe play on both sides, so that again they stay closer to the team. So it's not just you must play on the right all the time, and you're never going to play if Saka doesn't get injured, but someone who can flit across a little bit. And you know, I I was always I was very curious about the profile of going for Hafinha because like he's a starter for Brazil. That surely would have meant he was a starter for us. And yep. how do we reorganise the team to do that? And so, but I really really like this one because I like the player. I think he's a really really interesting player. And like you say, I don't think he's like an absolute right. Oh, he must start every game. Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm up for signing someone. I'm always up for signing someone like that, no matter who we've got. If there's someone that can start above them who's better than them, I'm up for it. I'm always up for it. But um, I didn't necessarily think that was realistic, particularly with the money we've already spent. It always felt like it always felt like basically what we've been trying to do is chisel out this last signing. Whereas the signings that have come before have been like, these are our big signings. These are the guys we definitely want. And if we can just do a bit of jiggery pokery to get one more in. So it, it's always felt more like someone who can come into the group and like you say, 
be fine with starting, but also be fine with... And, and I really like the profile of Neto. I really like him as a player. He's possibly the only Wolves, but like, I don't know whether it's just me. I, I just find Wolves like possibly the most boring team the in the league. terrible. It's terrible. And, and the, the, like, there really aren't many goals in Wolves games, but they, they've got a couple of interesting players, like Pod- like Daniel Podence, I think, is a, mm, a good yeah. player, if a bit inconsistent. But, but Neto's the only one I look at and think I, I'd pay to watch him. Um, maybe I'm being harsh on Neves there, but I mean, you don't pay to watch deep lying midfielders. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, so like, I, I really, and, and uh, yeah, I, I just think it makes a whole lot of sense. Um, Neto, nothing but Neto, as it were. <laughs> um, so that, that's the one I love. Tielemans, yep. yep still like but what I wonder uh, between those I, I still have this thing though about how readily we've accepted that he can play left eight when I don't think he's ever done it before I, I can, do can I give you a can I give you just a quick pushback there sure sure we literally have Shaka doing it right and if I had told you that two seasons ago you would have said you're out of your GD mind right so like, <laughs> true true but Arteta has such an emphasis on left footers like we're one of the That's only teams point, in yep. the league who's almost 5-5 five, five outfield for right footers and left footers so he he doesn't really invert I guess Erdegaard's inverted but yeah it, it uh, I'm sure that there'd be a plan there and everything. It's not something I'm massively exercised about, but I feel like it's something we've skated over quite quickly. What I do wonder is whether Arsenal will, like, let's say they don't get Neto. Do they then say, right, all right, we'll pull the trigger on Tielemans and we'll do that? Even Or or do they say, no, 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 we want we want the resource for this position or or is there a sense of prioritisation? Is there, we want Neto first, but if it can't happen then yeah, we'll fall back into the pack and we'll go for Tielemans. That's what I'm interested in. Like, Because if we don't get Neto and we want Tielemans, I think we can get him. Um, and maybe that's something we can string out right till the end. But it'll be very interesting to see whether it's that or whether it's like, no, wide forward or nothing because Pepe's gone. I think the, the, the thing with Tielemans that I really want to emphasize here is I think he can play all three of our quote-unquote midfield positions. I think he can play the Odegaard position albeit in a very different way. I think he can play the Shaka position, again, in a slightly different way. And I think very crucially, he'd be the best player we have to play the party position. Now, there are going to be people who say, I've seen him try to recover defensively. He stinks at it. Let me make a very quick point about Thomas Party. He is not a defensive shield. That ain't what he's doing. Thomas Party is the, be able to take it past the first press or the first guy who tries to to put us under pressure in midfield and and turn defense you know defensive possession or or deep dip possession into uh more attacking possession we are not sitting there with thomas party snuffing out danger he's not conte he's not basuma and so i think he has the flexibility to do that and i think all along you look at this we don't need him urgently lester need to sell players and we're winning so we don't look desperate I just think we feel we can get him for a knockdown fee later in the window. And it's not a huge priority. I still like it as a move. I, I Look, not every player you sign has to be the all-singing, all-dancing solution. I also love our scouting videos, Clive, because I really do think when you look at comps and when you start to look at the hype on social media, you can get so excited about a signing, which you should. But you really should see them holistically. You should try to. And I love I love seeing the scouting video. And what I will say in Neto's defense, because I don't think he was perfect, but Clive, you and I were laughing. I, I was trying to find 
playlists or evidence of like his his one two passing or his his passing in tight spaces. You can't find it. You know why? There's never another Wolves player within 20 yards of the guy. Their distances are insanely bad. The way they play is so brutal. So there's there's always that challenge of trying to interpolate what the style of the team you're taking the player from will mean for the team they're arriving into. Um, I, I think you like Neto. I think you're okay with Tielemans, and I think you would take Zaha, but probably dismiss that. So how, is that kind of where you stand on the, the trio of rumors we're discussing now? Uh, maybe. Uh, I think uh, on, well, on Neto. Where you, instead of me saying where you stand, why don't I just say, where do you stand? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I like Neto. And I, if that signing, if that rumor had come up a, two years ago, we'd be all like going crazy because I mean, he's so exciting. Had the Patello injury, and obviously he's come back a bit slow, but he started the season quite sharp. I agree with you both. I think he fits the room and he's versatile with the same styles. I think his true numbers are hidden um, because his teammates are rubbish. They don't understand him. I think when we see him work with our intelligent players, I think his real potential is, honestly, I think he's hidden. You know, um, a lot of the video clips we saw, he was alone, three, four people coming at him from all angles, kicking to the ground. It was really... There's no one else in the screen. It really was. But his initial movements are so sharp. He can take you long distance. I was having a chat with Scott. I mentioned this the other day, but I mentioned it for the, the main pod. Having a chat with Scott about our offensive distances and how they reduce and our average path length has come down by 15 20%. And I felt we were compressed into small space a bit more. But now that's been articulated by how we moved the ball in the final third. I look at Neto. He's sharp. Gets his head up manipulates the ball, very agile, quickly, one-twos, accelerates. I think he suits a small space team, but he also suits a team mm. when he can sprint 30, 40 yards and leave people behind. So I, I really do like the potential of that signing. And I think there's a lot more to come from him. You know, and he's, I, I do love his personality massively on the football pitch to do something and not be a wallflower. On Tielemans, I I'm working it through my mind, if I'm honest with you. I'm not feeling it, although I listened to what you said there and I agree with it. I think he's multi-positional. And there's two things here with these signings and we have to get comfortable with it. What are we trying to do with them? We're literally trying to lift our level and we're not trying to build a team anymore. We're trying to lift our level. To lift our level, well said. our favourite players will not play all the time. And this is not a feeling we've had because our favourite players have been carrying this team on their back for two, three years. And so now we have to adjust our thinking our favourite players will not play because we are lifting the level up. And on Tielemans, I, I, I think it's less a priority because I don't like what I read the other day. It's probably not true that he wants to turn to grand. I don't like that. I don't like the fee of anywhere between 35 and 50. I don't like that. Back to where we started the podcast. Um, our last game is November the 12th. So every our desperate, we're not desperate. We're going to have a gap. Normally we're making we're thinking, do we need something for the whole season right through to January? Well we won't be playing post November the twelfth. So really we're talking just like, you know, eight, ten weeks. You know, we're talking that's all we're talking about here. This is a small space of time. If we were to go back in January, I don't think the price would be thirty plus. He's got six months to go on his contract. It could be ten. Do you see what I mean? So why am I rushing to give you thirty plus million when I can come back in January? And just take him, nick him for eight to ten million. Does that mean? And I think yep. we have to be we have to be calm about this. It's a different year this year. It's a different season, and these players are all focusing on the World Cup. We haven't got to do it now, 
and then we can reassess in January if we if we wanted to, and then um, then go from there. Yeah, I I would just say that like the the time for reinforcements almost here. Like it's it's almost time for reinforcements because however good we feel about our squad, and like I find myself saying, I don't think we need any. If we just roll with the team we have, I think we'll be fine. And like by and large, we'll be fine. But if we really want to let ourselves get carried away, when these games start coming every three days, I think we'll start to see the squad feel a little stretched. I think yeah. when it's an untested Vieira that has to start a game, you know, or when we have to make the switch from Jesus to Enkedia, and I love Enkedia, you know, that's that's not a consistent level, and that's fine. But, you know, I think on the right side with Saka, like Emil Smith-Rowe can't be the backup to both <laughs> wide forwards and yeah. to the number eight or, and to the 10 yeah Clive I just wanted to say I don't think I said it in my answer I do think the wide player in Neto is the priority because yeah. as fans we've got used to these sparky forwards right if any one of them has a little bit of a calf strain we're going to expect exactly the same thing and if we don't we're going to lose our confidence as fans so having a Neto in the group immediately protects people with substitutions and gives us the same dynamics going forward and I think We've become used to steak, and we're not having corned beef. Similar as that. Yeah, like I said, it's almost time for reinforcements, not because the team isn't good, but because the job is to try to compete on all these fronts, and we want to make sure it's it's properly constructed for that. And, oh, by the way, you know, going and getting a guy like Neto or Tielemans, unlike, in my opinion, Azaha, is consistent with the plan that we have in place. So I, I think it's a perfectly reasonable thing to go and do. Look, finding the talent you need to make your squad better is hard, and there's going to be debates about it. The only way it's going to be easy is if you use Indeed, because Indeed is the hiring partner that lets you attract, interview, and hire all in one place. There was the transition, my friends. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Find great talent faster through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match assessments and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed data. One of the things about Indeed that I really love is, well, no, I hate saying one of the things. I like all of these great features. I like Instant Match, right? I like virtual interviews. But assessments is the one that I think could really stand out for them the more I think about it. Because one of the hardest things about online hiring is you as a candidate, you're like, how do I stand out? I'm just in a pile of resumes. Some algorithm's going to pick me. You as an employer, as a hirer, thinking, how do I make heads or toes of, of these resumes? Are they real? I, you know, Is the algorithm working? I, I feel very out of control of this. But assessments lets you use over 135 different tests from cooking to coding to assess the candidates and allows the candidates to prove themselves and stand out before the interview. So once you're in the interview, you're doing a deeper dive. You really have a sense of their skill set. And the candidate has a good sense of, hey, I've stood out. I've been able to show that I'm the right candidate for this job. I think it just makes it a more productive hiring process. So we love that. And of course, the other thing we love is that Indeed is the only job site where you only pay for applicants that meet your must-have requirements. Join the more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. That's more than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms get to buy need to hire. You need to is that enough of that? Indeed. Now that we're not the only ones trying to find talent. We're not the only ones that know about Indeed. Tim, 
There are other teams, other clubs that are indeed are. trying to find talent. And no one Newcastle, told me. <laughs> Newcastle is among them. Um, <laughs> Chelsea are among them. It's so interesting seeing the different approaches of these different clubs. Chelsea throwing money at players in ways that make next to no sense. Newcastle deciding they're going to flex a little of their muscle. And I do want to quickly talk about the Alexander Isak signing. It looks like that is going to happen. This is a player who at one point was a 100 million pound player. At another point, nobody wanted to touch him. Couldn't score to save his life. I was looking at his data. It's interesting because from the season where he was scoring for fun and the season where he stopped scoring, his XG and XA kind of stayed roughly the same, which means you could be sharp going for him now saying, hey, you know what? He ran a little cold on finishing. Maybe the team wasn't getting him in his good positions. He's still the same player he was. If he was worth $100 million and then he was worth nothing, we're going to pay 60 and that seems fine. But this is, this is a signing that I'm on the fence about because I don't think we know enough about the player. Clearly has talent. And Newcastle clearly flexing some of their financial muscle now. Um, I wonder how high they think they can go this season. But they look they look decent. They've got some mm-hmm. pretty impressive attacking players. I think the Bruno Guimara signing looks great. That's one that's still, of all the wonderful stuff we've done, that's the one that I feel like, could 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 we have done that? Could we have done it? Yeah, I yeah. don't know. But, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is a pretty big building block that they're adding to the uh, to the tower they're trying to build. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, really interesting. I, I was listening to uh, some podcasts. Uh, I listened to a podcast last week actually talking about um, Newcastle with the guys that cover them uh, for The Athletic and they were saying they were looking for a striker because they haven't bought a forward in um, this this summer uh, prior to this, which is actually quite surprising. And they, they actually seemed, what they were saying is they're actually quite happy with the balance that they get from St. Maximan, Almiron and Callum Wilson. And like, on paper, that is a really nicely balanced front three because Sam Maximan's all action and when he's on his game, like it was against City, brilliant, brilliant player. If he could do something close to that every week, he uh, even Newcastle would struggle to keep hold of him at this stage. And then Almiron like balances him out quite nicely because he's a little bit he's you know harder working and everything. And Callum Wilson's a really good striker. His he, he would certainly, I think. Um, be in the England picture were it not for injuries and and I think that's the kind of that's more the thing for Newcastle like Callum Wilson is just not someone you can trust fitness wise now obviously in a couple of years Newcastle will probably move beyond all of those players even St Maximan Um, but we can already see that they're building quite slowly they got uh, Dan Ashworth from Brighton when you're hiring guys from Brighton, you're not you're not, you're not doing a Todd Bowley, are you? Yeah, yeah no. Nope. Like you're looking, <laughs> you, you're looking. You know, like Brighton, Brighton, Brentford. Those are the smart clubs, right? And you look at Arsenal, Arsenal taking Brentford set piece coach, for example. Uh, we tried to take their goalkeeper. Like Brighton and Brentford, if you've got money, that's where you do your shopping. Yep. And it's really interesting that Newcastle have gone for you know, one of the guys who's really helped to build Brighton. And, and I think that tells you a lot about where they're, where they're going. But basically, like nearly everyone, they've struggled to get a striker this summer, the striker market. And again, the more you look at it, the more the Gabriel Jesus signing just looks like a miracle, not just because of, um, there you go, Jesus, miracle. <laughs> Stick it in the spreadsheet, um, but but the more the more it looks like not just because of what he's brought us on the pitch, but because of what the market's like. Like Chelsea are going to Abamyang, 
Man United, even Man United can't find a striker. Like they're playing Anthony yeah. Martial again. They played <laughs> Rashford up front against Liverpool. Like they're struggling to find a striker. So the market is really, and, and I think the thing about this signing is that's interesting to me is Newcastle could have done this at the beginning of the window if they wanted to. They've got the money. Obviously, they have like FFP concerns, which is part of the reason they're doing a slow build. I think it's sensible for them to do that anyway. And so, but this obviously falls within their FFP and everything like that. So they could have done this at the beginning of the summer, which kind of tells me that they've been looking, you know, they've been looking for what else is available. And then they've just gone, there's nothing else available really, which is yep. not to do down down on Isaac too much. No, I, I get it. I don't, I don't know that much about him, but th- this is a signing that Newcastle could have made on May the 30th if they wanted to. And I think it tells you a lot about the striker market that even they are three games into the season before they've done this. I think the interesting thing is th- he's not a lump, right? The, the one good thing I think for them with Isaac is that like, he's not just some guy who, I mean, like I, this is way overstating it, but you look at like a, a Darwin Nunez, like if he can't run by you and score goals, you know, you don't want to give that guy the ball too often and say like, help us distribute do things like that. Isaac is very skillful and technical on the ball. We, we did scout him. You know, he's, he's not a traditional, you know, target man type striker. He's more of going for like a Gabriel Jesus type player to play striker. And, you know, they have say Max Man who can, you know, beat a man like crazy. And so they now have like a lot of players that are going to be tricky on the ball, I think, and pose a lot of problems in some of the similar ways that our front line does. Um, it seems sensible. Clive, it's, look, it's an inevitability that Newcastle with their financial might, even if they do some dumb moves, will get better and better enough to be, in the top half and maybe top third of the table, can they get into the top six this season? I mean, I don't think it's impossible. It, it's so interesting, though, to contrast, as as Tim did, with like what uh, a Chelsea are doing. Because on the one hand, they're like, let's give all the money to Aubameyang, who's late prime, post prime, you know, overpaid and already wasn't really performing at the Premier League level for his former team. And then the other hand, they're like, oh, we, I read in a manual somewhere you should buy young talent, so I'm going to spam all the money on Gordon, who, I'm sorry, I am not the arbiter of who's good or who's not good. I do not see it. It seems like a total crapshoot. There are some funny videos of him going around on the internet, which I have enjoyed, but like, I certainly don't see that as like the elite young guy, especially when you know like Pulisic is like two years older than him and you don't want to play that guy. I don't see the golfing talent there. So like... It is interesting contrasting, comparing and contrasting the direction um, that these that these clubs are going that have the resources when you especially look at like the ones that seem like they kind of get it and they're a little smarter and the ones that are flailing around a bit. Yeah, that's what uh, I think football fans are becoming way more educated than they used to be because in the old days, I think what Chelsea are doing, which is basically playing football manager, we'd all find that really excited. Why can't we spend some money? Well, actually, it's what Newcastle are doing is far more interesting. You know, they're actually building slowly when they could build fast if they wanted to. And the type of players they're buying in Trippier and Burn have really connected to the fans. So we all know about fan connection, what I can do for a feeling inside of a ground. So you connect to the fans, it makes that ground an intimidating place to go again and not a place where there's a demonstration ongoing all the time. By bringing in Bruno, he seems to be playing as a six for them. And I know we'd like a six, but I, I sort of, when I was first looked at him, I thought he was more of an eight. But he seems to be playing like a six for them, holding the team together nicely. You know, Joe Willock and Joe Linton are just 
transition monsters, right? Big athletes, transition monsters. Arm runs a diving merchant. Uh, Callum Wilson, injury prone, as Tim said, and Sam Maxman's a box of chocolates, right? But if you add in Isaac, who's another dribbler, carrier, transition monster, six foot three, six foot four, can play down the middle, but flicks to the left and drives and runs. Newcastle are building a deep line defensive team that can really spring up the pitch and attack you at pace. And so the whole thing looks quite nice. Whereas Chelsea, you know, all they're trying to do, overpay for Fafana, overpay for a Bamiyang to fill a hole because Havertz can't carry that team on his own. They've got multiple players that behave behind a striker that they can rotate around. But they lack mid-centre midfield energy. I'm not sure Conor Gallagher's going to make it because they have too much of the ball. I'm not sure he's going to make it there. Kovacic is he's a good player. Kante's, he's got too many miles on the clock. Right, he looks like an old Ford Escort at the moment and that's not going to work. And so they've got gaps in their team. They've got gaps. That one's going in my memory uh, bank. <laughs> <laughs> they've got gaps in their team. Thiago, he, he, he drops off at the moment. And only goes to engage on when he's absolutely sure he's going to get it. If he doesn't get it, if you watch the picture closely, he has to hail a taxi to get back into his hole. Right, so it's they've got a few issues there. The goalkeeper's not as sure as he was, and all of a sudden, no matter how much money you have, if you're not smart, these gaps, the edges will become frayed. And even the smartest team, will, the Liverpool smart team tag, we saw some frayed edges when they had a few people missing in in the week. Right, so. The line, uh, to flip it back to Arsenal briefly, we all feel really good, but it doesn't take much for the Frey Digits to show. So don't be afraid of upgrading. Don't be afraid of upskilling and doing it the right way because the benefits are insurmountable. Well, they are massive, basically, as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think there was, there was an article that was sent to me, and I'm trying to find it um, so I could credit it and also send you to see it. Um, and I'm, I'm going to find it because I think it was sent to me in the Discord. And I'm pretty sure it was by Goatkeeper somewhere. Ah, gosh, I'm not. I don't know where it is. It, it's in here somewhere. But it wasn't Goatkeeper, so I have mistakenly um, mistakenly <laughs> credited him. Which, so I withdraw the credit. But anyway, it was, it was essentially an article <laughs> with a chart in it that shows the age players were bought at and where they are now on their team. And it shows Liverpool and it's, you know, it's, it's like a dot and a tail. So you can see where they were bought and where they are now. And you can see very clearly the plan at Liverpool, right? All of them were bought right at the beginning of prime or just pre prime or something along those lines. But you look at them now and they're all past that shaded primary, not all of them, obviously, but a big chunk of them. And, um, you know, to your point, Clive, you're seeing those frayed edges, Tim, just quickly on that. Do you see, I mean, I think we all think Man City's still pretty good. I think Chelsea are in flux. I think Spurs are Spurs, which means they're shit. Um, I think that United are shit. I, you know, the fact that they're able to get a result against Liverpool being under the cosh most of the game, I don't think says much. Obviously, Liverpool playing with Milner was not the plan. Not having Nunez, who was meant to replace Sadio Mane to some extent, not the plan. But still. Do you see the freight edges in Liverpool? Are, are they another one that, that's in flux? My take on them is they tried to stretch their window of title and Champions League comp, um, competition or challenge as wide and as long as they could before having to take their medicine and start a new cycle. Because let's face it, they hit the lottery with this cycle. There's no guarantee you're mm. going to be able to do it again, right? I mean, there's no guarantees. 
Uh, Chelsea yeah, has yeah. spent a ton of money. They haven't done it. United has spent a ton of money. They haven't done it. Liverpool might be smart, but there's no guarantee. They tried to stretch this window. And did they stretch it just a little further than its elasticity? Is it now ready to break or is that overstating it? Yeah, could be, could be. And and obviously, like, they've got players missing. But, you know, mm-hmm. the players they've got missing, um, Thiago, he's could often still be missing. missing. Yeah, he misses a um, lot, yeah. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, um, almost permanently missing. Who? Um, <laughs> you, you know, these these guys. And it, it's funny, you know, and, and us probably more than anyone, you know, have kind of lauded the work that Liverpool have done. But we can't. When it comes to say, I was having this conversation earlier this week, and it was it was a good one actually on on the Twitters about how much sales is often down to luck. Like I'm sorry, like the Coutinho sale, right? Kind of lucky. Like Barcelona were like, "Hey, we're really stupid. We're going to give you loads and loads of money yeah. <laughs> for this yep. like okay player." Really and Liverpool went, "All right, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fine." Like that little fishy jumped into the net for them, you know. And they have done some good sales, don't get me wrong, but also like, and sometimes I think like, um, you know, like running hot on your XG, you can do that in the transfer market. And uh, I, I kind of think with Wenger, for example, with some of those early Arsenal teams and how they were built on sales, I, I don't know what the, the transfer or the sales equivalent of XG is. I think Arsenal probably ran hot on theirs for a few years. I don't think it was ever the plan to shift Anelka or Overmars or Petit. I'm sure we wanted to keep those players Colo Torre wasn't them. guaranteed to work out as a center back, right? I mean, like, exactly, exactly. Which is not to take away that they turned out to be good decisions, but but there is like an element of luck involved. Of and sometimes the nature of luck, sometimes you hit a hot streak and then that hot streak goes. And you look at Liverpool now, they lost one Aldam on, on a free. Naby Keita's got one year left on his deal and doesn't look like extending. Chamberlain's got one year on his deal and he's back in the treatment room, so he's not going anywhere. So that's a lot of midfield talent they're losing on free transfers. And then, you know, they've got guys like Henderson and Milner. Um, again, good players in their own right. I think where they're possibly unlucky is you don't want those players starting together. Maybe you want like one of those, um, you know, around like a Harvey Elliott or a Curtis Jones and a bit more of a mix. And I think that we can all see, I think, that what they're doing in midfield, a little bit similar to maybe what Arsenal did up front in January, that I think we all know they're going to go for Bellingham next summer and they're waiting for that piece and they don't want to spend loads of money on a midfielder now. And in fact, I think Thiago was probably a bit of a bridging, uh, a bridging buy. They thought, okay, let's get like, you know, best in class available in this position for a couple of years, and then we'll bring Bellingham in, and we'll have the next. Yeah. So, so I can, I can, I can see that. I can see that. I can see why they're doing that, and I think that's like a good thing to do. And they're probably just a bit unlucky that that like they're just getting loads of injuries. So I don't think they've become a stupid club overnight. I think possibly what's happening is some of that, some of that luck is evening out. And um, I've referenced this before, and uh, before I say this analogy please, please understand I'm not drawing a comparison between these two parties. But I read this this uh, really, really long uh, biography of Hitler by um, a guy called Ian Dennis. And he was talking about how in the Second World War, Hitler made loads of stupid, reckless decisions at the beginning of the war, but they all worked. 
like like completely by luck they worked so he became emboldened and as the the second world war went on he kept making these stupid reckless decisions like invading russia opening a second front on the east yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's like (laughs) why are you fucking invading russia in the snow for but because he'd, he'd rolled the dice and got lucky he was like no one can tell me um, and so, you know, sometimes like your luck runs out a little bit. And, and again, that's not to say that Liverpool have been entirely lucky, but they've had little bits of luck and they're probably evening out a little bit. And we saw that season, they had a couple of seasons ago when they lost Van Dijk and their defence. And I, I do think they were just majorly unlucky there. But, you know, sometimes sometimes you pay on credit and someone calls the bill in, um, I guess. And I, I think that's a little bit what's happening to Liverpool now, albeit I do think they'll be broadly fine. Yeah, I mean... Thank you for sprinkling a little bit of Paul dust on the podcast too, by the way, (laughs) with the the reference there. So I appreciate that. I mean, look, do I think they're going to be one of the four best teams in the Premier League by the end of the season? Yes. Are they likely going to be one of the two best? I think probably yes, but I would have said certainly yes going into the season. And already I feel comfortable saying that's not assured. Not to mention, look, without Darwin Nunez... You know that that do they want to be starting Firmino at this point? I don't think so. And all right, they're home to to Bournemouth next. They're going to win that forty-two to nil without Nunez. But then they play Newcastle. Granted, it's at home. Newcastle are a little spicy. You know, do they maybe get a draw there? And suddenly they've lost to a mediocre United. They've drawn at Fulham. They've drawn in Newcastle. And like the way the Premier League looks, if you want to be near the top. That that already almost makes it next to impossible. So they they've given themselves as crazy as it is to say after three games a bit of a mountain to climb, at least in terms of what their ambitions might be. Um, and we'll see. I just think that you know if you look at the season that Leicester won the title, Leicester won the title without a lot of points, guys. Like let's not fool ourselves. That was not a lot of points that they had. Um, I mean, you know, I'm not saying it's not a lot of points for Leicester, but by the standards of what wins a Premier League title, it took a down season from other teams for them to take advantage of that and win the title. And I do think if Arsenal are ever going to have a title run, at least at any time in the near future, it's not going to be with 94, 96, 98 points. That's not where we are in our project. Like, however good we feel about our team, and I feel great about it. Could we get to mid-80s? It's a stretch, but I think it's in the range. Mid-80s hasn't won a title. But it can. I mean, I don't mean ever. I mean, that's not what City and Liverpool have been setting the bar at. So what does it take? It takes a slight down season from Liverpool. It takes City to come back to the pack just a little bit. And suddenly your biggest ambitions are there. Top four. I mean, it sounds weird three games into the season to be like, that's done. It's not done. That's still the goal that we're fighting for. So we have to stay focused there. Uh, Clyde, before we say goodbye... Sorry, I, I just want yep. just yeah, please. Mm-hmm. really quickly wanted to add on Liverpool as well because we should acknowledge that obviously they sold Mane and I don't think that was a bad sale. He was thirty, one year left on his deal, yeah. fine. And but you know that's that's an adjustment, and then to get Nunez in, and then he gets sent off. That's another area where perhaps a club like that has to sometimes just gamble, and we've seen it, we've done it ourselves, just gamble a little bit because they haven't got all the money in the world and go, okay, it's going to be an adjustment to play without Mane, but it, we, we can do it relatively quickly. Let's just survive the first five or six games while we get this going again. And and then they've got all these other injuries and, and then Nunez gets suspended anyway. And so that's another element where they've been a bit unlucky and where a club like that, and like us, sometimes just has to take those gambles and sometimes they pay off and sometimes they don't. 
Yeah, and Nunez is going to come back, and boom, they're into the Champions League, and they're playing twice a week, and they go to Arsenal, and they go to Chelsea, and like, yeah, the season. It's interesting how seasons start because it can be December before you write the ship if it's if it's a tough season. We saw that last season. Um, Clive, before we go, Pepe off to Nice alone. Um, I doubt he will be back the following season, although it's in the range of possibilities depending on how he plays. I have to admit, like, I try to be really careful when we're signing a player to not just throw myself into the hype of it. I try to look at it with clear eyes and a bit of circumspection and say, how do I really feel about this player? And sometimes I do it on this podcast and people hate me for it. I get that. But like, there are a few signings that I've been really, really excited about. And Pepe was one of them. He had a lot of hype. He had a lot of fun numbers. He had a lot of fun video out there of him looking really, really good. We knew it was an overpay, but I didn't mind the overpay because I thought we were getting that force of nature player that Jesus looks like he's going to be, that Alexis Sanchez had been. We didn't get that. As he departs now, I think it does make it more important, by the way, that we bring in another wide forward because whatever you think of him, the guy can score 10 goals in the Premier League, and we don't have anybody else that you really, really believe on our bench can do that. Well, anyway, how surprised are you that it ended like this? Where where are you on the, on the Pepe era, so to speak, and the extent to which the player and club never just never seem to fit for one another. I think that's a big part of it is fit. I think um, when we were looking at Pepe and, you know, we had the Pepe Zaha debate and, I, and I, I am a big believer in buying from the league and I think that's been proven this summer, shall we say. I think it really makes a difference how people feel when they know the player in particular and I always felt Zaha being an Arsenal fan, I just hear him right thing in my head. It's all soft facts and stuff. But the spreadsheet said we should go for Pepe at 24. And so we went for him. But it doesn't matter if he if he doesn't really speak the language very well, doesn't feel very comfortable in the dressing room. There's always issues potentially about you know his ability to socially interact with the group. And that mean, that means something, you know. We can see it now what what how important a dressing room is. A manager doesn't play you, where do you go? Who do you talk to? How do you get over these moments, right? It, it does matter. I look at him physically. I don't think he's put on one single pound of muscle since he's been here. He hasn't changed physically. Again, you can see a player's investment. Look at Martinelli's body change. Look at Saka's body change. Look at Odegaard's body change. You know, I'm just not seeing it. I'm not seeing that investment to, to drive his game to a new level. I like the player. I always like to support our players, particularly wing forwards. I felt he was not always supported well by the Benham. In fact, I don't think that helped him. I think he would look better in this team, but I think his heart is broken. I saw it at Palace last year, and we watched the game. And I said that Ramsdale had the ball, he was facing the wrong way. I thought, you're not here, mate. You're not here. <clears throat> so it's been a matter of time for me, really. And um, it's a real shame, but I think he's a... I believe that when Arsenal bought Marion Schumach, it didn't work out. They got more involved in stats DNA thereafter. I think Pepe will be a flagship signing for us to make sure it's not just the football ability, it's everything else, the character, the person, the fit, everything about them. I, you can see that getting a lot better uh, going, than, it, than it used to be. So hopefully we'll get some money from him if he plays well in France. Last time I saw him play in France for the Ivory Coast versus France, he was absolutely fantastic. He looked comfortable in that environment. He ripped the game open, and I think there's a career for him in France. And hopefully, get some money back. Again, just touching on the league a little bit, if you if you don't mind. I think 
one of the things I said in, on the previous a preview podcast is I do feel the whole league is in transition. I think there are so many teams that are trying to find out about themselves. I include Liverpool in that. You know, their team below a team they're trying to build. That bo- that bottom seven, that bottom six right now, in Man United's in there, Liverpool's in there, Everton, Wolves, Leicester, West Ham, they're all in there. These teams are all about to spend money or, you know, are spending money. Leicester in a little bit disarray, transition in there. And the teams that look smart and comfortable and are laying, layering on, they are up there and looking bright, you know. And it's, I think we need to switch our analysis. Those top two teams, they haven't said, oh, they're just going to run away. But I, I, I don't believe they will. I don't believe they will because we spent the last two years watching them as fans. We watched their every game because they're always on TV. Liverpool played nearly every game possible last season. Everyone watched them. Everyone knows how they play. It doesn't last. So the future of this game for me, and this is where I think Arteta is incredibly smart, is how we find players that can evolve tactics in-game and, and, you know, four games. I think we have some like-type players that just bring something different. And I do think that is the trick, to keep offering teams different things, different faces, because you will get scouted very, very quickly. And the moment they spot a gap, they will jump into it. And that's why I'm not too worried about Spurs. I am worried about the fact they seem to have to nick points, you know, without even having a shot and they get the three points. You know what I mean? That does annoy me. But I do think we're in a really strong position tactically and the way the manager evolves tactics in games. And I, I do think other teams have not looked at us properly respected us properly when they do the solutions you're looking for are not in this first 11 they're on the bench and so let's build that bench because that's what we need to fight to make sure this season ends up on the upper street where we all know it's going to end up right so <laughs> that's it fingers can crossed I, yeah please yeah can, final can i just yeah can i just add on pepe like um with pepe for me sometimes it's it's a kind of um it's another one of those reminders sometimes to trust your gut on something because i never I, I can't explain it but i just never had the feeling that like he really wanted to come to arsenal you know i never really had that sense really of connect- point. Really right point. from like the the signing videos you know you just get that vibe from someone and you're like i think that your agent has not put you here but do you know what i mean i i think like this could be any club for you which is not a criticism and and uh because a video that's doing the rounds at the moment are those two free kicks he scored against uh Guimaraes in the europa league and i remember at that point thinking yep yeah, here we go it's been a slow start, but now we've got Pepe. He's made a, a difference, not a big game, but he's made a difference in a game. He's got two late goals. Here we go. And like, and I remember feeling it at the time, and even more so now with hindsight, you look at the way he doesn't really celebrate those goals. And like, he's like very shy and like his teammates come up to him, but he's just very like, yep, thanks. You know, you know, when you just get that sense that and I'm not saying it's about effort or anything like that, or that there's anything wrong with his character. It's just, you know, sometimes you just don't get that connection. I'll give you an example of exactly what I mean. In the women's team last year, Arsenal signed Tobin Heath and like Tobin's an Arsenal fan. It's like, ah, here we go. Wow. This is, and like it transpired. She didn't really want to be here. She wanted to stay in America, but her rights had been traded to a team she didn't want to play for. 
strung it out to the end of the window, was injured most of last season, went early. Like, And you just never got that sense that, mm, actually, I don't think this is the dream move. I think they're parking themselves here. And I just, I always had that sense from Pepe. And yeah, it's it's never left me. It's never, le- I've never felt like a full subconscious engagement um, from him at all. Yeah, I think that's, that's it. And look, because there is such a need for players to be stars and scrubs, for them to be brilliant or shit, the debate does lose some nuance. And there is a very talented player in Pepe. We have seen that. He has given us some really special moments. That goal he scores was at the FA Cup final against Chelsea that's just offside. That'd be one we'd be replaying for ages from the top of the box. Just a sensational strike. Obviously, the one against Wolves. Like there's, there's been moments from Pepe. There's been games where he ran big teams ragged from the halfway line. A, a player who looked like he couldn't lose the ball when he was on the halfway line, but couldn't make a decision in the final third. And it, it just never really worked. He came in at a period of extraordinary transition at the club. Maybe someone who needs, as we've said, that continuity, that serenity to thrive and and didn't have the serene environment. And then really just we evolved tactically past what the player was. So I wish him well. I I, I don't think I've personally seen him as a bad in you know, just because you're quiet and shy doesn't mean you're like a bad dude. There there's no suggestion of that to me. No. Um he's well he's very popular know, actually. Very popular. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I am sure he's one of those guys that on the training pitch or, you know, if he, if he came down to your Sunday league game, you'd be like, that, that's messy. That's the best player I've ever seen. You know, unfortunately, sometimes he just hasn't had the, the platform always, to showcase the skills. I wish, I wish him well. Yeah. When I say those words, it's very important how you walk into the room. I think Pepe is a great example of that. When you walk into the room with that price tag, for me, it's degrees of failure. And that's a shame. And that was done to him. And that's a real shame, in my opinion. Yeah, he's he's probably going to go and devastate the the French league again, and and maybe get a nice little fee uh, as he leaves with one year left on his contract. Of course, the wages may make that difficult, but we shall see. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Um, as I said, we may do something to react to our Europa League draw and and pretend we know what we're talking about, which is. I think that just be a summary of the podcast generally, so that's fine. There'll be an instant reaction following the Fulham game over on the Patreon side. So if you want to join us there, we'd love to have you there. If not, no big deal. Just thrilled to have you here. Um, if you look at the pinned tweet at Arsenal V Podcast on Twitter, you will see a little bit of text that if you copy it and tweet it out, you vote for us in the FCAs, and we would love to have your vote. You could also go to the website, the FCA website, and vote for us there for Best Premier League Podcast. And I have run this by Andrew, and he has said, go for it, guys, because there are much bigger awards that, that he goes on to win. So we are we are thrilled for him to win those, and we will take his table scraps with joy. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name is Elliot Smith, the Black Man Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We love you. We will talk to you after Arsenal 10, full of nil.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.